<laughs> Good afternoon. How are you? I hope everyone is blessed. I'm very blessed. I just got in off the road. I was down in Allentown, Pennsylvania, doing a, a talk at Legatus, and we had a fine time down there. So I stayed last night in Danville, Pennsylvania, and I just got here a couple hours ago, and uh, I'm already here. So hopefully all this is going to be working fine. Um, every time I come in, I'm thinking, I hope I do this right. It looks like it should be good here. So let's begin with a prayer. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Great God of love and mercy, we thank you for that you're so faithful to us, that you love us and you care for us. And you gave us, Jesus, your son, because you want us to be with you forever. Father, help us to just return our love for you, to want to live for you and you alone, to want to do your will and your will alone. Father, we beg you these things in Jesus' name. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good St. Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, hopefully, eventually, I'll get someone who produces this so I don't have to be the one going crazy here every Thursday. It'll just flow. Uh, we'll see how things go. But anyway, this is uh, Anchored in Hope with Father Larry Richards, and we're so glad that you're here. And we ask, uh, this is the time we do questions and answers. So I have a bunch of uh, emails here. And then also, if you want any particular question, just uh, put it on the side there at the chat, and I will answer as many questions I can in this hour. And so uh, I really enjoy just being here with you guys. And uh, I wish that somehow that I could see you. <laughs> you know, that's the only thing. But anyway, so here we go. Uh, what we're going to do, let's jump right in here, okay? And if some of you get too many questions, I won't answer all your questions. I'll just try to get as many other people as I can. Okay. Do-do-do-do-do. Uh, hi, okay, this is from Jayco. Hi, Father, my priest went against Pope Francis during a Sunday homily. He said uh, we should not accept everything coming from the Vatican. Is it okay to publicly disagree with the Pope? Your priest is in sin. It's just that simple, especially if he's doing it off the altar. He can disagree with the Pope, um, but not publicly. Your job up there is especially... He, he took a vow of uh, respect and obedience to his bishop, and that continues on with the Pope. You know, and uh, again, as you all know, if you watch me, that uh, the, the, I just think that any good Catholic follows the Pope, yeah, period. You know, it's just that uh, we don't have to agree with everything that comes out of his mouth. Of course we don't. He's not infallible in all those things, but he deserves our respect. And the problem is, is when a priest thinks that he knows more than the Holy Father. That's called sin. That's called arrogance. That's called pride. And when he guts up there and tells everybody, you don't have to do that, you know, but there's, there's so many people doing that. There's so many uh, Catholic speakers that are out there that are doing this stuff. And, you know, a lot of these people looking at me, look, you know, like someone said to me the other day, uh, Father, you're on the wrong side, you know. And I was kind of sad that... Uh, we have sides in the church. You know, we should all be one church. And it doesn't mean we have to all get along. 
But that's why I purposely, I don't name people on, I didn't do it on EWTN radio and I don't do it on here where I name specific people and talk about them and talk about how I disagree with them. I used to do that and uh, I was an instrument of division. And so when a priest gets up on a Sunday and he tells you not to agree with the Pope, he's now an instrument of division. And the problem I have with that, besides being prideful and arrogant, and I don't know him, so I'm like in a general judgment, not a particular judgment, and I can make a general judgment, that we become people who like the accuser. And who's the accuser who night and day accused them before the Lord? Was the evil one. And so when we become accusers and we try to tell people, you don't have to listen to the Pope, listen, I've listened to every single Pope in all the years I've been here. I supported John Paul, and I love John Paul, Benedict, John Paul, uh, uh, the first John Paul one, I thought he was going to be the greatest thing ever, and he only lasted 30-some days. Uh, Paul VI, I was uh, baptized under John Twenty-Third, And all these people had their detractors, and they just brought division. And again, when all is said and done, the church will write to history. And I promise you, Pope Francis will be canonized a saint, just like John Paul was. And this one will be too, I promise you, it's going to happen. And the people that went against him, when the church writes its uh, history, and it writes it from more than just the Americans, it's the church, you know, I think that we can be hand, uh, heading towards a schism, uh, two, two different fronts, though. You have the German bishops who don't think Pope Francis is liberal enough, especially with homosexuality and that, and they're really praying that we don't have a schism with Germany. That would be the first big schism, <laughs> if you remember, it was with Martin Luther from Germany. So it, they want a more liberal church, and then you come primarily to America. It's primarily the Americans who are uh, taking Pope Francis on because we we tend to look at the world from our perspective. And you know that Americans are uh, the wealthy part of the church, but we're not the biggest part of the church. And that's why this pope, when he comes, he doesn't have an American mindset. He doesn't give us and say, oh, yeah, you Americans, oh, we'll all bow down before you. He sees a much bigger church than we do. And so we can sit back in the sidelines and say, oh, yeah, he's a heretic or he's doing all these things and abuse sin on us. You know, I come back to St. Ignatius of Loyola. And Ignatius of Loyola had such devotion to the Pope. And he said, if it's light outside, if it's daylight and the Pope says it's dark, I'll believe it's dark outside. You know, and so, again, that's an extreme example. But it's like we got to come back to basics. You don't do yourself any good. You don't do the church any good by going against Peter, who Jesus said, you have the keys to the kingdom. And when we do this, when we know that King uh, Peter has the keys, not only to keep people in the church, but to keep people out of the church. You know, whatever you declare bound on earth, I will bind in heaven. Whatever you declare loose on earth, I will loose in heaven. He gave to the keys of the kingdom to the pope. You know, and again, I would just, if, he, if, if this pope, you know, they want like a strong pope, and he's strong, but in another way, you know, but he could easily say, I excommunicate you who are going against me. He could do that like that, but he doesn't because all these people would sit there and say, you can't do it. He can do that. And again, so I just think that more and more 
I, I, when I do men's conferences, I just sit there and I say to the men, I say, men, you should be ashamed of yourself if you're going against the Pope. You should be sitting there willing to die for the Pope, and you're sitting there in your own arrogance, your own pride, and you're putting yourself higher than the Pope, and there's bishops that are doing that, priests that are doing that, lay people are doing that, but none of that is of God. None of that is of God. None of that is of God period. So again, you just pray for your pastor, pray that he, uh, pray for his humility, uh, that he will grow in obedience because he took a vow and that he will sit there and instead of publicly going against the Pope, if he doesn't, if he doesn't agree with him, he would call people to pray and fast for the Pope and uh, say, we, we want to make sure that we're being led and that the Holy Father is being filled with the Holy Spirit. But when you just come up as a priest and go against the Holy Father, to me, that's just a height of arrogance and pride. But again, that's me, and it's a judgment on my thing, but it's not because I don't know your pastor, so, but I'm saying, yeah, he shouldn't have done that. And people think I shouldn't do a lot of things either, so it's okay. Okay, thank you for sending my question to Father Larry. He answered part of my question, but not the other part. Oh, thank you. You know, again, my remaining question is, why does a mass intention get a soul out of purgatory? I did answer this. A mass intention makes your prayer one with the ultimate prayer of Jesus Christ. So it's the, what Jesus did gets us out of hell. What Jesus did gets us out of purgatory. There is no place in the scripture that says that. That is the teaching of the church. Now, if you want a proof text of the scripture, you got to go back to Maccabees. And when all these people sinned and they took a collection and they offered a sacrifice for the dead, and it said it is a good and holy thing to pray for the dead. That's our proof text. But there is nowhere in scripture in that. So it says, my family's giving me heat. Why would you even argue about this? This is not one of the teachings that we should be arguing about purgatory. Okay, because again, as I told before, the teaching of the church on purgatory is one, it's a good and holy thing to pray for the dead, and two, that it exists. Everything else is conjecture. Though the, I wasn't here, and so someone else had my mass today, and the priest had told the mass, you know, it's beautiful scriptures, the most beautiful scriptures in the gospel, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. But what does the pastor, what does this uh, priest who had my mass today talk about? He talked about a girl who died at seven years old and she broke her doll and so she took her sister's doll and then she died and so she's in purgatory. What? So who made that judgment? He did? How do we know if anyone's in purgatory? Pope, Fran Pope uh, not Francis, Pope John Paul II says, we know that hell exists, but we don't know if anyone's there. Huh? And that's, it's in the... Uh, uh, it's in the book, uh, Crossing the Threshold of Hope. And here's what uh, Pope John Paul II, and he's no big liberal. But again, if we can't say that anyone's in hell, he said, even Judas, you can't say in hell from scriptures. Now that's John Paul II. So when people sit there and they're focused on purgatory, I have no plans on going to purgatory. None, zilch. Why? Because I pray for a happy death right? I pray. And, you know, like I said, when I was getting involved with the same priest, he sat there and says to me, so how many masses are you going to have said for you after you die? I said, one. He goes, you think that's enough for your sorry soul? One drop of the precious blood of Jesus is enough to get me out of hell and purgatory. One drop of the precious blood of Jesus. 
Again, I've said again, again, and again, and again, we're getting very close to the heresy of Pelagianism. Too many people that we have to work, work our salvation. Jesus worked your salvation. Jesus Christ paid your penalty for all your sins. That is the teaching of the church. We don't do 50% and God does 50%. He does it all. By grace, we are saved. We all believe it. Not how do we accept grace? We, believe, we accept grace by our faith and our works. But it's what Jesus Christ did for you. Do you get that? It's what Jesus Christ did for you. So what we should be arguing with our Protestant brothers and sisters is not a thing. We all agree we're saved by grace. So focus on that. Don't take heat. Don't fight with them. That's not our job. Focus on what we agree with. But we can also be very clear that the, the whole thing of purgatory is present in the scriptures and that the ch church teaching has developed that the way we've developed all kinds of things. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about the Trinity explicitly, the word, and yet we believe in the Trinity. Now it hints to it, go and baptize all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But the church had to develop, well, what does that mean? What does it mean? Is Jesus the Son of God only, or is he God incarnate? What is the Holy Spirit? Is, it, is this what we mean by the Trinity? What the, so we had to develop that, and we had to focus on that and reveal the revelation that was revealed. So we always go deeper than just the scriptures. But again, though, don't argue about these things with people. Just say, oh, thank you. I pray for you every day. You know, but if you really want to get real explicit about it, go to catholic.com catholic.com catholic answers and you put in their purgatory and they're going to give you all kinds of reasons okay but that's my i pray for the poor souls in purgatory every day but i hate spending time on purgatory because we're trying to get people to heaven we're not trying to get people to purgatory purgatory is the place where we can get um it's the place where we get purified, as we've talked before. So I just want to make sure everybody got that. If you want something deeper, go to Catholic Answers. You know, these people go in all the detail and give you all that stuff. Again, what I want to do is give people hope, 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 hope. So hopefully, hope, you got hope. And that purgatory is the place of hope that we get purified to go before the God of the universe. But no more in purgatory, you know, because again people go too far in that direction. Focus on Jesus. Focus on what he did for you. Focus on the blood of the lamb. Focus on grace. And purgatory is part of our teaching. Fully believe it 100%, but don't focus on it. Okay. So let's go to, I did that. Let's go back here. I know I get crazy. I get it. I get it. Hi, Father. Hi, Father. Hi, Father. Dominic Miller, thoughts about Adam eating the apple after Eve since they were in one flesh. His decision to bear her fault was a sacrifice he needed to take in the marriage. Again, when we go back to Adam and Eve, it's the way the church has explained how God created and we fell. So we don't want to get so involved in, you know, like, was it an apple? Because it doesn't say it says the fruit. It doesn't say it was an apple. We have put an apple there. But it just says the fruit. It doesn't say explicitly an apple. But we automatically do that. But again, it's not in the scripture. But the reality is, like I often do, and again, when I do a men's conference, is I talk about the reality that um, he should have been protecting his wife. But he was quiet. 
but he should have got in front of the devil because he was right there when she was when this was happening, and well, he should have got in front of the devil and said, "You got to go through me before you get to my wife." But he was silent, and so the devil could tempt her, and she fell. But I just think the way I've uh, talked about it all these years is that he should have been there protecting her and giving her strength. And too often in our own lives, us men, those of you who are married, your job is to protect your wife and your job is to strengthen your wife. Your job is to get them to heaven, do everything in your power to get them to heaven. But often when men, they just stand back and say, well, she's the holy one, she's the spiritual one. Well, what other sin are you going to confess, sir? You know, because that's not the way it was created. That's not what happened. That's not happening from the beginning. Adam was the one who was supposed to protect and lead and uh, take care of her wife and, of course, his wife and his, uh, her, uh, their kids. So, again, don't get explicitly caught up into what does that mean because it's all, people can give you all kinds of conjecture, but it's, it's, uh, it's still all theological opinion, Okay. Hi, Father Larry. This is from Nanette. I am a former Baptist who converted to the Catholic faith years ago. Welcome. Lately, I feel like an evangelical inside, but unable to express it. I still love the Catholic Church. The parish I belong to is not spirit-filled. I am struggling. What is going on, and what can I do? The best thing to do is to stay focused on Jesus, especially in the Eucharist. Um, Sometimes we're always looking for external manifestations of things, you know, the worship and all that kind of stuff. And some places are blessed with that, and some people, uh, some places are not blessed. Sometimes you have a priest that knows Jesus, and sometimes you don't have a priest that knows Jesus, sorry to say. But the reality is that uh, you can stay, no matter what's going on around you, Jesus Christ is offering himself to the Father through the hands of that priest. And you get to be there. And not only do you get to be there, all the angels and saints are there right at that moment. All the angels and saints are falling down on their face in worship. So you can do that too inside, no matter what's going on around you. You know, again, often people uh, want to judge other people because some people receive communion in the tongue, some people receive communion in the hands, some people receive communion standing up, some people uh, receive communion kneeling down. I offer all those options at my parish. We have a kneeler there. Anybody can come up any way they want. And I says, you're most welcome to do that. Just you're most unwelcome to judge anyone who doesn't receive the way you do. And I know you're not doing that, and that's not the question. I'm just saying, though, Jesus is looking at your heart, Where's your heart when you go to Mass? Is it there to honor him, to worship him, to see the reality of what's happening, all the angels and saints around you? Do you receive and know that when you go to communion, you're getting to just become intimate with Jesus in a, a way, way beyond any kind of worship? You know, tonight at 7 o'clock, at, I will do it online, of course, on this station. We'll have at 7 p.m., excuse me, We'll have our praise and worship, our monthly praise and worship, and you can participate in that uh, online through this YouTube channel. But we'll come together as a parish, and we'll put out our Lord and our God in the most blessed sacrament, and we will just worship him for an hour. And again, you can, if you need to do that, come watch with us or pull up one of the ones. It's monthly praise and worship, and no matter when you do it, you're still participating in worship because God's in an eternal now. 
And so he's always present to you. And so you can do that. But always I want to encourage you is I know it can be uh, crazy. I've often said, you think you're bored on that side. You should be on this side sometimes. When I say, the Lord be with you. And everybody goes, oh, so with you. You know, they don't care. And I'm thinking, do you have any idea what's going on in front of you? Because a lot of people just want to go there, get their hand stamped or card stamped, receive their vitamin pill and go home. It's not a worshiping of the living God. Every mass should be, I mean, Eucharist means Thanksgiving. It should be a time of great Thanksgiving. But again, as we all know, a lot of times it's not. But doesn't mean that it can't be for you. Okay. Okay. Peace does not mean lack of conflict, but means being in right relationship with God and others, correct? How can we be in peace with the person if the intent for that right relationship is only on our side? We have to ask Jesus for that because he said peace in his, on his side. He wants to have peace with every single person exists and gives them peace. He died for them to give them peace, and yet it can only be if a person responds. So, uh, but he still can give you that peace. And even if, you know, think about it. It's the same thing with being reconciled. Sometimes you forgive others and they don't forgive you, okay? You can still be at peace because you've done your part. And when you're offering, again, I like to use, a, you know, peace is something that's given. So if you go to the Holy Land and you go to the Sea of Galilee, it's filled with animal, I mean, with fish and all this stuff and plants and life. Why? Because it gives and rece- it receives and it gives. You go to the Dead Sea, it's dead. Why? Because it just receives. It doesn't give. And so that's very true in our own life. If we receive and then give, if we receive peace and then give peace, then it goes through us and it keeps us in peace. If the person doesn't, I get it, or don't receive it, they just want to receive it, they don't want to give it, then they're spiritually dead. But even though all the water and all the peace flows through you and it goes to them and it dies in them, you still are alive and filled with God and have peace. So hopefully that helps. Okay. This is from Gina. Hello, Father Larry. Thank you for reminding me it's all about Jesus. You're welcome because it is all about Jesus and not me. Some questions from my kids. What is the rapture? The rapture is a a new invention. (laughs) No one talked about the rapture uh, for the, uh, until the last hundred years. Now, when I say that, uh, the theology of rapture hasn't been developed until the last hundred years by fundamentalists, but there is in the scripture, the rapture. It says, you know, we will be taken up some, um, you know, we'll be taken up, you know, and they talk about this reality. Um, but it's never been official teaching of the church. And the rapture happens the moment you die, you know. So the, you shouldn't be afraid of anything. If you're living God's holy will, you will have peace. And you will not be afraid. You know, the uh, again, I was talking to this group I was talking last night, and I talked about... Um, a person who wrote me the letter, which I've already shared with you, who worked in hospice, and he said, if it's 30 years of working in hospice, the ones that are most afraid of dying are Catholics. And it broke my heart. Because what happens is, some of the theology that's out there keeps us focused on ourself and our sinfulness. So we're always afraid. Again, if you stay focused on Jesus... You don't have to be afraid of anything. 
even when it talks about the fear of the Lord. That's a great respect and love for God. It's not like cowing, being afraid. Because again, is that what we're going to be forever? So forever and ever 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 and ever, all we're going to do is be afraid of the God of the universe? The God of the universe left heaven, became a man, and died on the cross, let us kill him, just so we could be with him forever. That's how much we're loved. Again, if you go to the gospel today, it was my, it's my favorite gospel by far, you know, by far. It's John 15, and I always talk about that's where you go if you're going to start reading the scriptures. And so here it says in verse 9, John chapter 15, verse 9, hear it, know it, let it enter into your being. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Remain in my love. It doesn't say remain in my fear. It doesn't say stop and be in fear all the time. He tells you, the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, looks at you and says, just as much as God the Father loves me, that's how much I love you. It's by the Holy Spirit, right? And then he says, I want you to remain in my love. That means dwell in my love, focus on my love, be in my love. And so when we go to pray, the primary thing we should be doing is remaining in his love. So many of you have never heard God tell you that he loves you. You have never remained in his love. You're still saying prayers. You're still trying to get all up here. But you got to get it here. You got to remain in his love. You, 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 you got to do whatever you got to do until you come to know that you're loved by God. Because I believe, again, that all the problems in the church today are fighting between people who don't know the love of God. Once you know the love of God, you don't have time for fighting. You don't, have a, you don't have the time to sit there and say, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm going to go and do everything in my power to prove you're wrong. You're going to do everything to bring people to the love of God. And if you're speaking the love of God, they're going to come. Of course they're going to come because the deepest need in everyone's heart is to be loved. We all go crazy over being judged. And yet we think that when we're judging people and we're telling them how wrong they are, that they're going to be attracted. Do we really want to bring people to God or do we really want to prove ourselves right? Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Remain in my love. So you don't have to be afraid of the rapture. You don't have to be afraid of anything because when you're in his love, you're going to please him, right? You're going to want to do his will. You know, that's the point. And if not, his love will challenge you. Being in, being in the love of God doesn't mean everything's la, 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 la. Sometimes when I'm praying and I've said stupid things, I've said stupid things, you know, before, the God of the universe will kick my butt from one side to the other to the chapel because he loves me. Not because he's condemning me. Again, Romans 8 says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So, why do we condemn ourselves? Why do we condemn others? When Paul tells us there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, 
why do we condemn other people in the church? Why do we condemn the Pope? Why do we condemn people who don't agree with us? How is this of God? Again, like someone who I've known a long time, he said to me last night after the talk, he says, Father, you know you've changed. You used to be really harsh. <laughs> I go, I hope so. I says, again, uh, it's still process. There's still times when I can get harsh. There's still times I can get strong. It's not what I want, though. You know, I want to be a person who knows the love of God, that remains in the love of God, and invites others into that love of God. Because that's what's going to keep them alive forever. The grace of God, the love of God is what keeps us alive forever. And again, that's what we need to be proclaiming. That's the good news. And that's what we got to be living, and that's what we got to be saying. Okay? So, uh, should you be afraid? No. Let's go on back here. Okay. I have to keep going back because it keeps going up without me. Do, 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 do. My trip was great. Thanks for asking, Michael. Can we offer up someone else's suffering for the souls in purgatory and other good cause? No, you cannot. You can offer up your suffering, but they have to offer up their suffering, okay? Christopher Weston, your podcast. Uh, Chris, yeah, it's a possibility we're going to be seeing here. We had, he had a great discussion with Matt Fraud a couple of weeks ago. Of course he did. Matt's, you know, pagan child. Anyway, but yes, um, they're together now down in Steubenville, so that's why it happens. But there's, he's on my list of getting people. Uh, again, it's just going to take time to do all this stuff. Okay. Do-do-do. Happy Nurses Day. I didn't know it was Nurses Day. Happy Nurses Day to all you nurses, of course. Exactly, Martin Luther wouldn't uh, do the obey the Pope. No, Chris, uh, are we saying if we have masses said for a deceased person every year on their birthday? Of course not. All the masses, all the masses. You should have always remember people in their masses. Very important to say have masses offered for others. But if they've already got to heaven, God will use that for somebody else. So yes, please do it. Absolutely. Okay, here we go. Let's go. But I want to hear us down. Some of them are just too long for me. I love Hankered and Hope. Well, thank you, Sharon Snyder. Have you seen the Chosen TV series about Jesus? I have, and I love it. It's not um, full scripture. You know, it is scripture. It's based on scripture, but uh, it's combined of a lot of different things. But honest to goodness, I, I'm like a baby when I watch it. I have to sit there and be in the right mood to watch it because it can make me cry. You know, it's just like, and no, Father Larry doesn't cry. That's just like, take that off. Of course I cry when it comes to stuff because it makes Jesus so real. And it's just, I mean, I'd encourage everybody to watch Chosen. I think it's, a, I have the DVDs, I watch them. It has a lot of uh, great stuff in there. So, um, yes, it's, but your perspective. Again, greatest thing, I'd watch it uh, all the time, but I get emotional there. Uh, so I, I've only watched The Passion of the Christ once. 
because I knew when I went to go see it, I go, this is going to be bad for me. And it was too intense for me. Uh, and I do the passion, you know, a big talk. But when I, when I can see this about someone you care about, someone you love, and then it really does a number on you. So I watched it once and that was it. Never watch it again. <laughs> because I'm not a big emotional type person, in case you were wondering. Okay. What do you recommend for people who have gluten allergies, sensitivity in regards to receiving the Eucharist? We have low-gluten hosts, and I have a lot, well, 10 people that come to daily mass. Two of them come to daily mass every day, uh, but we have the low-gluten uh, hosts, and we keep it in a separate little container, and we put it on our uh, ciborium, and it's never had an issue with any of them. Uh, you have to uh, talk to your pastor about doing that. If you, uh, again, it used to be easier because when we receive communion to both species, you could just receive from the cup, and you're receiving truly the body and the blood of Jesus. You receive the whole Jesus, whether you receive from the cup or the body. You know, it's just more symbolic, but it's still that. But usually low-gluten hosts, most people can do that. And if, if I run out of low-gluten hosts, which has happened, I'll just give them a little piece, and usually a little piece uh, doesn't hurt people as much um, normally, unless you're ex ex uh, very... Uh, sensitive to that, but that's what we do. Okay. How do we do it, Father? Do what? Let me see. Okay, I'm not sure that cha-cha uh, truth, how do we do it? Father, I don't know what you're, uh, okay, how do we hear God? How do we open our hearts to what God wants? You shut up, is what I always say. Sorry, that wasn't very kind, was it? But I want to make a point. Like, again, if you come to my Adoration Chapel in Erie, Pennsylvania, I have on the back wall next to the tabernacle, Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. So again, I often talk about, I wanted to put on that back wall, shut up and know that he is God. But they said that wasn't very nice, so I didn't do it. But anyway, so, but that's what I mean. So when people ask, you know, Father, how am I going to experience Jesus? Shut up, go and just sit with him. And again, if it's hard for you to listen, that's why it's so important to read the word of God. Again, I just encourage you, you go and read the scripture from today, and you can stop at John 15, verse 9, as we've already talked about, and you let God say to you, and you read it again and again and again and again and again. I don't care if you spend an hour there. Easily, you could spend an hour there. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Remain in my love. Keep reading it. Then slowly let it go into you. Slowly. Again, the scripture that got me that where I came to know Jesus in a most personal way. When I was already in seminary, I was in major seminary, so two years, high school seminary, four years college seminary, spending at least an hour a day in college. I spent up to four hours a day, but it was still like going through the motions, making sure I was a good person. And then when I made a retreat out of Pustinia, a 24-hour assignment, when you have to fast on bread and water, and there's a big cross there, and you have to be crucified with Christ on the cross, you... The, the, the spiritual director made me spend an hour with Isaiah 43, 1 to 5. And in Isaiah 43, 1 to 5, it says, Do not be afraid. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
because you are precious in my eyes. You are honored, and I love you. And I spent all that time running again and again and again and again and again. And after about 55 minutes, because you have to do it by the watch, make sure you spend it. Then it start going from my hard head to my harder heart. You are precious in my eyes. You are honored, and I love you. And I start telling God all the reasons he couldn't love me because, again, my prayer was focused on me, not on him. God, you can't love me. I'm proud. I'm arrogant. I'm aggressive. I have lustful thoughts. All the things that are real in my life, especially then. And he just kept saying, you are honored and I love you. And then I heard more than anything, I heard the thing that changed my life. He said my name, Larry. Larry, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved son. Mark chapter 1, verse 11. That's why I preach it so much, because that's what converted me. And I was already in seminary. I was already praying every day. But I had to keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. When I spent that hour, it was 55 minutes. I was ready to walk out. It was time. I'm almost only got five minutes. And because I stayed for that full hour, at the end of the thing, that's when God revealed himself to me. And more than God revealing himself to me, he revealed who I am to him. Who am I? I'm his beloved son because of Jesus. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he reconciled me to the Father. That's what he did for you. That you are God's beloved daughter. That you are God's beloved son. But you can't just say, oh, I wish I had that experience. You got to sit with him. You got to do it. And, it. and it's more than, okay, if you can't get to the Blessed Sacrament because you don't have perpetual adoration, most places do in the United States and different parts of the world. When I was young, before I even went to seminary, maybe I was just in seminary. I remember being in my grandmother's and I lived in my grandmother's house and I had my own apartment there. And I was in a wheelchair. I was in a, a rocking chair. And I was praying and I came to a deep sense of God the Father, that he was there and he was embracing me. And so it was a glimpse of where God was calling me to. And then when I got to have that experience many years later, it intensified that. And whenever I go and do my holy hour every day, it's some days it's as boring as can be. There's nothing there. I feel dead inside. I feel sleepy. I'm saying, Lord, I'm very sorry. I'm tired today. And sometimes I have to go because it's up at 3.55. And sometimes I get halfway through my prayer and say, I got to go back to bed. I'll come back and be with you in a half hour or something. It's just real. And I know that because I'm beloved to the Father, just as, again, I've talked about here, when you're holding a baby, you don't care if the baby's... Uh, pulling your nose or playing with your ears or pulling your hair or sleeping. The baby wants to be with you. In fact, if you try to take the baby away the ba or put the baby down, he or she will cry. Just want to be with Jesus. Just want to be with the Father and the power of the Spirit. It's just so important if that's the one thing I could tell everybody, come and spend time with Jesus. Come and experience the love of God. You need to know the love of God. It can't just be, well, someone told me, I believe. That's not what God wants of you. God is real. He's alive. And just as he appeared to St. Paul 
and Paul could then write most of the New Testament scripture, so he can appear to you. He mightn't appear to you in the same way, but he can appear to you if you spend time in prayer, if you go, if you spend time, spending time with these scriptures that I've given you, John chapter 15, verse 9, and you sit there and you read it again and again and again and again and again so that God can enter your heart with that word because his word is not something that's a history book. It's Jesus himself. He is the word of God. Some uh, parts of the Catholic Church still have, and uh, Orthodox Church, they will have two, uh, they'll have a tabernacle there and they'll have the Bible open and they'll have a sanctuary candle in front of both because both are the word of God. Both are Jesus. And so if we know that every time I go to scripture and I'm reading the scripture, it's the living word of God. I'm having an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's why I say again and again, no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. Go to the Word of God. Spend time with the Word of God. Let Jesus Christ speak to you. Just let him, meet him there. Then you got to shut up, and then he can reveal himself to you, okay? So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> Sometimes I go on too long. I know I get it. Anyway, so da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, I could not handle the intensity of uh, TPOTC. Never saw it. Yeah, okay. The Passion of the Christ. Oh, okay. Sometimes I forget things. My mom has dementia, so is mine, Mary. And when I pray, I offer up my prayers on behalf of her too because it seems she lost the ability to understand prayers and talking to God. Is it still valid for me to pray on her behalf? Oh, of course. But you know who's, you know who's praying at this very moment on her behalf, Jesus Christ lives to make intercession for us. It says in Hebrews, again in Revelation. If you're saying, what's Jesus doing right now? He's praying for your mother. He's praying for you. That's why we often say, I mean, the, the true intercessor and every other saint intercedes with Jesus. But the intercessor for all mankind, womankind, humankind, is Jesus Christ. And that's why so often I'm saying, you got to get to know him. You just got to get to know him. You got to get to know Jesus. He's praying for you. He's not out to get you. The scriptures are real. If the scriptures are lying, then what are we doing here? I'm wasting my time. You're wasting yours. The scripture is how God has revealed himself to us and in the Eucharist and through the church, yes. But the scripture, especially the New Testament, is God alive. So, of course, you can pray for others, and you can offer up your prayers for them, of course. But know that Jesus is doing the same thing, so you're praying with Jesus to the Father, okay? So, okay, that's the thing here. Janet asks, I get so distracted when I pray the rosary or even at Mass that I feel that effort is in vain. It's never in vain, never, never, never. How to focus when I pray? Oh, this is great. I love saying the rosary, of course. Uh, every morning I say the rosary. And so, uh, but when you do it, you gotta, the biggest part of the rosary, and I think this is the problem this for so many Catholics, is they just say it, you know, to get it done. The biggest part of every rosary is the mysteries. And so you gotta enter into the mysteries. So I always imagine that when I'm saying the rosary, Mary's taking me by the hand and saying, 
look at this with me. Look at this. You know, nobody looked at Jesus more than Mary. Nobody. Nobody on this earth looked at Jesus more than Mary. That's why when we pray with her, it's like putting on a pair of glasses. Mary becomes the glass. We don't stop at the glass. That would be a waste of time. We look through the glass to see things better. When you pray with Mary, you're putting on the glasses of her eyes and you're getting to see Jesus more. Huh? So when you're saying the rosary, for instance, you can be at the, I always go back to, to help explain this, but this is for all the mysteries, just to give you one right now, is the joyful mystery of the birth of Jesus. So it's 10 Hail Marys, right? So don't focus on every word of that. That's becoming, it should become a mantra to let you enter into the prayer. And the prayer is watching what's happening. So here you are, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Mary's taking you by the hand, and she's leading you and says, look at this. And so you go into the cave where Jesus was born. You smell the manure. You uh, smell the urine from the animals. You smell the animals. You see all the stuff going around you. And then you see Mary, and she's having a baby. Now, again, how she had the baby don't let's not even go there because there's so many different theological opinions but jesus is born joseph is there he's the first one to receive communion in the hand if you will he gets to hold the god of the universe jesus christ in his hands he gives her to mary mary's holding jesus in her arms and you're watching all this and that's how you enter into the rosary because as you're watching all this and you're thinking, whoa, Mary looks at you and says, hey, welcome. Here, would you like to hold Jesus? And then you take Jesus in your arms and you hold the God the universe cannot contain who's bigger than the universe who now is an infant child and you hold him Nothing to be afraid of. Here's God for you became incarnate man. This little baby and you get to hold Jesus in your arms. And to think that that isn't just an image for you to meditate on. It's an image for you to live. Because not only do you get to hold Jesus every time you go to communion. You get to bring Jesus inside of you. How blessed Mary was to have Jesus inside of her for nine months. How blessed we are to have Jesus inside of us from the moment we are baptized. God comes and lives inside of you. So as you're meditating on this, Jesus, I get to hold you, and you get to hold me always in prayer. Stay with me, Lord. That's how you say the rosary. And so you do that for every mystery. Like when he's dying on the cross, you're sitting there, and there's Jesus naked on the cross, and he's all tore up, and he can hardly breathe, and he's uh, uh, trying to, he's suffocating. He's trying to pull himself up to say things. And all of a sudden, you're looking up, and one drop of the precious blood of Jesus comes from his body and falls on you. You are redeemed by what he did for you. And so it should make you very grateful. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I don't deserve it. You do know that. You and I don't deserve it. It's called grace. 
He wants you to be with him forever. That's why he took your sins, your sins, and he paid the penalty for it. You got that? Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. Period. Stop trying to pay the penalty yourself. What more could Jesus do for you than what he did on the cross? How thankful you should be all the days of your life. But you can get all that and you can meditate on all that so much when you truly pray the rosary and meditate on the mysteries. After I'm done with the the Lord's Prayer book, I want to write a book on the Hail Mary and the rosary. Not just a pious thing, but how you take the mysteries and you how they transfer into how you live your life. So my Be a Man book is called Just Live It. Well, it's going to be the same type of thing for the rosary. It's going to be just live the rosary. Don't just say it. Live it. There's so much in each mystery that uh, God wants to reveal to you what that means and how that's to be lived and how that should have daily impact in your life. Huh? So just to, to give you a thing up. So don't, don't get crazy over it. Don't be focused on you. Focus on Jesus during the, the rosary. And again, great things can happen. Um, oh, you're only getting back to here at Mass in Ireland. I love Ireland. You know, I'm mostly Irish. I'm Irish-German, but mostly Irish. Can you tell? I was, <coughs> I was in Glockbuck-Noyce. <coughs> Glockbuck-Noyce. I don't never say it right, but anyway, I was there a couple of years ago uh, speaking to 2,000 uh, college and high school kids, and uh, in the middle of it all, I sat there, and I says, do you, do you understand sarcasm? Because I can be sarcastic, and someone says, oh, Father, we invited, we, we invented sarcasm, and I said, oh, sorry, <laughs> of course, well, that's where I got it anyway, so yes, uh, I love Ireland. You know, I've been I've been thrown out of pubs twice in my life, twice, both times in Ireland with Dominican priests, friars. Can you imagine? You know, because this Guinness stuff, you know, I can have one Guinness and that's plenty for me. But the people from Ireland, they can drink a lot more Guinness. And so we were, you know, when I'm over there, they're taking me out to these little individual pubs. And the one night, I'll never forget, they says, and we weren't thrown out for bad things. Trust me, we just didn't get there till late because we were doing ministry all day. And so we wouldn't get there till uh, late o'clock, <laughs> late at night, and said to, Oh, fathers, it's one o'clock in the morning. You got to go home. <laughs> I just thought, I remember, I got thrown out of pubs twice in Ireland with priests. We weren't doing anything bad, drinking Guinness, that's all. We were having a fine time. I'd love to get back there. They, the people at Divine Mercy uh, said they were going to invite me over to speak, but I think I scared them off when I had the men's conference. I was too strong for some of them, so <laughs> sorry. I'd still have to come back. So anyway, here we go. Next the thing here. What are we doing here? We have, some of these are just too much. Okay. I was reading on a Catholic website about sex we commi- can commit. Sex sins that we commit. One of them is having sex with your spouse in a position, but not in the missing. <laughs> oh, I don't know how this is going to be. Let me talk about, in general, okay, for this. Um, anything that the church is teaching on sexuality, between a husband and a wife now, huh? 
husband and wife. Every act of sex must be open to two things. One is mutual love. You do it because of love. And two, the procreation and education of children. Now, when it comes to foreplay and all that other stuff, the, the church allows different things to happen as long as it ends in intercourse. And that means, in a, uh, you know, I ain't going to go into great detail on that because there might be kids watching. But that has to happen, and every act of sex must be open to love and life. And so we really don't go into great details beyond that. Now, you're going to find priests that go into great details, you know. Even St. Augustine, and this is where we get problem, part of our theology, is that St. Augustine, of course, had lots of problems with lust. You know, he used to sit there and say, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. <laughs> so he liked it. He had a child out of wedlock. He was with a woman many, many years, didn't want to break up the relationship, wasn't married, all this stuff, comes to a conversion. And so, and his biggest, biggest problem with him was his sexuality. So once the Lord set him free from that, he always saw sex as somehow sinful. He even thought that having sex with your spouse was at least venially sinful because it gave you pleasure. So that was never adopted by the church, but there have been many people that have adopted that in their own life, and they see uh, they become prudish when it comes to sexuality. The church has never bought into that. In fact, the very first commandment, the very, very, very first thing God ever commanded us to do was what? Increase and multiply, huh? So again, there are priests that tell and go into great detail what you can and cannot do, and I just say, oh, stop, stop. As long as it's life-giving, as long as it's part of love. Not part of love, it's an expression of love. Because sexuality should be the expression of two people loving each other so much that they're giving up their life for each other, huh? That's the greatness of it. And again, if, uh, if we were on a, um, a channel, or if I were just doing it with men, I go into this very explicitly, uh, very explicitly, about what you can do, what you can't do, but most of it isn't, is what you can do. You know, because you do realize God rejoices. And that's why I tell people, you want to have great sex? Say, How would you know, Father? I don't. I'm still a virgin, 61 years old, I promise you. But I say, you want to have great sex? Well, what would be your suggestion, Father? You pray with your spouse before you have sex. And I was doing this in marriage prep and talking to a couple, and the one guy says, Father, don't you think that'll kill the moment? And he says, if you think that'll kill the moment, you don't know what sex is and you don't know what prayer is. God, you know, in the teaching of the church, in the sacrament of marriage, the number one way you experience Jesus is through your spouse. And so Jesus, God, rejoices in your gift of sexuality. He's the one who created it. So why we make it bad, I have no idea. It's good, period. God rejoices in it. I often talk about, again, my great-great-great-great-grandmother 15 generations ago was St. Elizabeth, Elizabeth of Hungary. I'm a direct descendant of her. Her daughter, Sophia, was who we come through from through my mother's side. And when I found that out, it, it, and I often, like even last night, I says, do you realize that if that woman would not have had sex, and how many saints had sex in that day? Not many. 
Many of the saints, of course, in those days were uh, priests and nuns. But here's this queen in Hungary who had sex. She was dead by 24 years of age. If she would not have had sex and all the generations from her would not have had sex, I would not exist. And it's so great because I just found this out like five years ago, maybe six years ago now, uh, that she was... Uh, my great-great-great-great-great-grandmother 14 generations ago. And when I'd say Mass at the back altar of my beautiful church, I look up, and who's there looking down at me since I've been there? My grandmother, St. Elizabeth of Hungary. So again, God rejoices in our sexuality, and so should we. But we got to do it the way he created it for us. So that's the biggest thing I'm going to say. I can't go into great detail. I'm sorry, uh, Robert, uh, but that's as much as I can do on here. If you want to email me uh, through the foundation, then I might be able to go into greater detail with you then. Okay, but I got to get out of here as always. I'm just so grateful that uh, you came and were with me. I'm sorry every week that uh, in the beginning, it takes me a while to, to get warmed up and get for this and through this. That's why I just think if uh, eventually I'm going to get someone to produce this. So I just have to walk in and I know what's happening and they're doing all the stuff instead of me doing all the different things. Um, and so I just ask you to pray for me that uh, the Lord uh, brings someone like that to me. And then also I want you to... Uh, we need a uh, music director at my parish, so please ask God. I've been looking for someone for a year. We were only going to go part-time, but no one even applied, so we're going to go full-time. But they have to be, uh, you know, organ, contemporary, know how to do choirs and everything else. Uh, and so if you are one of those or you know people, please put the message out that we need a full-time. And because we, you know, every day... Uh, People watch every day these masses and that. We just need to do things better. And so pray that the Lord will send the right person to us. And again, if you know anybody, have them contact my parish at stjoesbol.org. Uh, just go to the website and click right on, email Father Larry, and uh, uh, send me your resume. It would be great. But please, those of you who, who, aren't, uh, who don't play music, pray that the Lord God, I have all these openings at my parish and I have to fill in like six positions in this next couple of weeks. So pray for all these positions. The Lord will bring the right people. Know that I'm praying for you twice a day. Please pray for me. I love you. God bless you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you next week. God willing.